0: Today's scripture reading can be found in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, Future Glory. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We good here? Okay. I just came to the terrible realization. That Probably my children's sermon was better than my regular sermon, but we'll see how it goes We continue our sermon series through this idea of the four-chapter gospel And I'm covering a lot of ground if you missed it you can catch up online Um, But I do need to do some recap I've been talking about how the gospel the good news is so much bigger if I could use a really bad grammar word It's so much gooder news than you've ever realized. But you, to understand that, you have to see it as a big picture, as a big story. And when you get a big picture of what the gospel really is about, you understand it's a story you can give your life to. So I'm proposing that, that the gospel needs to be understood in these four chapters, these four sections that sort of build on each other. Creation how things were, that God makes a good good world, but that there's a fall, chapter 2. The good world doesn't seem so good all the time, does it? Because there's something wrong with the story. That's why we have chapter 3, redemption, where Jesus comes and saves the world and shows how the world could be, and we await chapter 4, restorations, how things will be. And so last week I talked at length about creation and what it means that we are created. And I made a few points I'm going to highlight real quick here. Number one, I said that the world was created by God, all of it, every inch of it. As theologian uh, Abram Kuyper said, there is not one square inch of this whole world that God cannot point to and say, Mine, 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 mine. Every part of this world is God's and every part of this world is created good." God declares it good, that the pinnacle of that good creation is humanity. And when he makes humanity, he makes humanity in his image. And we said, well, what does that mean that we're made in his image? Well, it means since God is a trinity, we're made for community. It's not good for us to be alone. And it also means that we are meant to follow God's creative act, that God orders creation and he fills creation. And so you and I, order and fill. We don't create out of nothing the way God did, but we continue God's work, that God created the world incomplete and intended humanity to take it somewhere, and that we also need a Sabbath. We need to rest. That's a big part of the creation story because it reminds us that we are not God, that we cannot do everything, and that we need to be okay with that. We need to do our part and then rest and trust that God's got the rest of it. This is how things work. This is how things ought to be. But if you were reading the Bible for the very first time, you start at the beginning of the book, you might look at this and think, that's garbage, right? Because that's not how this world seems to work. It doesn't always seem very good to us. But even as we think about that, we are already appealing to a world that ought to be different, We already have in our minds intuitively a sense that there's something that should be different. There's something that should be more in this world. We're appealing to a higher standard whenever we say this pain, this inequality, this disease, this death should be an abnormality. It should not be here. So let's talk about how we got here. Why things are different. In the Bible, there are these two people named Adam and Eve, and they are made in the image of God, given dominion over the world, fulfilling and subduing this earth. In fact, things are so hunky-dory that they are completely innocent. Completely innocent. And and, uh, the Bible has an interesting way of saying that. It says that they are naked and unashamed. Uh, Now, I was in college, and there were people who were naked and unashamed, and that's different. But have you ever... But have you ever been around a little kid? You've been around a little kid and they're changing clothes and decide they want to run to the other room and they just don't care, right? They're just innocent. That's Adam and Eve at the beginning. They're innocent. They're innocent. They have to grow. They have to learn. They're just simple, more like children. They're just out there exploring the world, doing what, uh, whatever they want. Uh, want and whatever they need to do and following the work, doing the work that God has put them to do. But one day, a serpent comes walking along. If you read the story, he's not slithering yet. He's walking still. The serpent walks up and tempts them. Let me read the temptation from Genesis chapter 3. You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See, the serpent has a two-part temptation for Adam and Eve. Part one is to doubt God. Stop trusting God. What God told you what? That's not what he meant. See, he he was telling you that because you're see, you supposed to question God's intention. Is God really for you? Does he really have what's best for you in mind? And if God doesn't have what's best for you in mind, why don't you be God? Why don't you take the place of God? Why don't you think like God in your life? So Adam and Eve disobey i think by the way these are still the two basic temptations that we all face okay all the time we are tempted to doubt god how often in your life have you gone through something or got news where you think well does god really have my back does god really want me to be like that why can't i live a different way if god really was for me if god really loved me why would i be going through this And it's too tempting for us in those moments to be our own God. Well, I'm not even going to worry about what God thinks. I'm just going to survive. I'm just going to get through this. I'm just going to do what I want to do to try to pull my life back together. How much work do we do to fix things instead of waiting on God? The temptation of Adam and Eve is the same temptation you and I face all the time. And we too disobey. Because of this doubt and the resulting disobedience, something changes in humanity and in the world. Paul describes the result in Romans 3, maybe a familiar passage to you. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. These are two really great metaphors. They're, they're symbols. Okay? The word sin, the word that's translated sin in Hebrew is an archery term okay? for bows and arrows. Okay? So when you sin, it's, you miss the mark. Okay? So the mark is the bullseye. And if you're a little bit outside the bull'seye, well you sin this much. And if you're way outside the bull'seye, you sin, you sin a lot. And if you totally miss the target, then you're really sinning. Everybody see that? You miss the mark. That's what it means to sin. It's a, it's a metaphor. You miss the mark. And the mark in the scripture is God and God's holiness and God's glory that He created the world to be at. And so whenever you miss out on that, you don't live up to that. you fall short. Okay? So if, if the goodness is up here and God's glory and God's standard for the world is up here and you miss the mark, well, you fall short of the glory of God. You fall below what God intended for you to be and what God intended for you to do. The good that was supposed to be in this world was short of what God intended it to be. And so we have fallen. We have dropped an elevation from where we should be. Humanity has not lived out our God-given image and responsibility. And since humanity was to have dominion over all creation, all creation struggles with the same thing. Okay, The world is not as it should be. And immediately after this fall, Adam and Eve see that they are naked and they hide from God. They understand that the innocence is over. We've rebelled against God and they hide. And ever since then, sin has been accompanied with shame how much do we live to avoid shame in our lives it's a huge part how much time do we spend worrying about what other people are going to say and what other people are going to think how much when we make a mistake do we worry about everybody else finding out about the mistake most of the time it wouldn't be near the same burden to us if we weren't so worried about everybody else most problems in life are easily overcomable, but if you worry about what a hundred other people think of the thing, then you've got a lot to worry about. Adam and Eve, before the fall, they didn't have that same kind of shame, and so they lived their lives differently. They would learn differently. So let me try to give you an example. We, we have a lot of golfers here in this church, so let me try to, let's try to imagine Adam and Eve going out to try to learn golf. They're naked, which presents its own problems, Right? And they get up to the tee, and Adam pulls back, and he swings, and he slices the ball way to the left. Now, what happens if you and I do that, if we're, uh, especially if we're on, at a driving range where there's a whole bunch of people around us, right? Our first mode is, did anybody see that? We look around, did anybody see how bad that was? And then if somebody saw it, what's our next move? We hold our back like we did something. That wasn't my fault. I got a sore muscle in my back, pulled my swing, right? We spend all this time worrying about what other people... Adam doesn't have that. Adam and Eve don't have that. They have this initial naivete, okay? This innocence that they don't care what other people think. They hit it, goes that way. They learn from it, they move on. And if you ever watch a child learn how to walk, it's the same thing, right? Okay, they bump their head on the coffee table, they cry for mommy, and then they're running around the coffee table five minutes later, okay? It's somewhere along the way. I blame middle school. Where we stop having that. Where we stop trying so much because we don't want to fail. Or when we fail, we don't ever try again because we don't want to look silly in front of other people. We're ashamed of the mistakes that we make. See, that's that's shame. That's sin. That's fall. That's not the way God intended you to live. God intended you to live with boldness and with joy. Adam and Eve feel no shame they try again. They learn. They grow. They continue the work. How often is our grief complicated by our feelings of guilt about our grief? I shouldn't feel this way, right? I shouldn't feel down. I shouldn't feel depressed. Instead of just going ahead and feeling it so that you go through it. And I feel like that's how we are also with God. We hide from God. We're trying to be good. Do all that we can, serve like good Christians ought to. Uh, what did we used to say? Uh, don't drink, cuss, or uh, play cards, and don't hang with those that do, right? We don't go out and do those kind of things or hang with those kind of people. It's like we're still trying to sew outfits of leaves to make ourselves presentable before a holy God. And it's not just us, see? It's corporate. As soon as Adam and Eve sin, they immediately start to blame, God, blame each other. Adam says, well, it wasn't me. Go back and read this story. He says, this woman you gave me, right? It was the woman, and if it wasn't the woman, it was you, God, because you gave me this woman. And as soon as Eve, he turns to Eve to ask her. She says, well, it was a serpent, you know. Immediately there's blame. There's gaps between one another. And their work is broken. Just as God had ordered creation on days 1 and 3 and then filled those, crea- those ordered days on fourth through 6, so Adam and Eve were meant to order and fill, to subdue the earth, order, and to fill it, to fruit be fruitful and multiply. But in Genesis 3, their work is cursed. Their, the man is cursed in his labor because the ground is going to be so much harder to work. The world will be so much harder to subdue. And the woman will be cursed in her labor, so that there will be pain in childbirth as they multiply and fill the earth. See, that's, that's a direct curse on the work the human beings were given to do in God's image. It's broken. It doesn't work. All that stuff that God has for you and I to do in this world is now uncooperative. Because the world is sin in it has fallen and because we are fallen. Sin and the fall are the reasons you struggle to communicate with your spouse. Reason why your children rebel. Why it is so hard to get out of bed to go to work. Why the laundry doesn't seem to do itself. Okay? It's because the world is not as it should be. Because there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with the world. It's why we don't want to go to work. We have trouble making changes to the systems that we are in. Why it's not easy to finish projects. Because we have fallen short of God's glory. Our holy work in this world is fallen. This fallen state is sometimes, by the way, called a sinful nature. What that means in the scriptures is not only do you sin and fall short, but it is your natural tendency now. Okay, If you don't believe it, like when kids are little, they have this sort of innocence, but it goes away really fast, doesn't it? I never had to teach my my kids how to lie, okay? They figured that out all on their own. They drew on the wall, and then when I asked who did it, they said their sibling did it. Well, your sibling can't even reach that high. That's not you. The innocence is kind of there, but not so much. As soon as they start to lie, as soon as they start to hide when they do something wrong, okay? And ever since then, it's our nature. It's our nature to go in the direction opposite of God, When I look back at my life, all the decisions that I made on my own were pretty dumb. And my life is a series of God going, Whap, get back over there. Whap, get back over there. Because it's our natural tendency to sin. Even the good things we do in our lives, we often do for the wrong reasons. We often do because we want to look good, not because we want to honor God. Now, it doesn't mean that all people are all bad. All bad. Okay, some people have said that about the world, and that is not true either, because we still have the image of God. So even non-Christians are able to do good things and beautiful things. But it's just that it's a mixed bag in all of us, right? That we are made in the image of God to do good things, and we also sinful and fallen and we fall short. We miss the mark. As the story continues in the fall, it, 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 after the fall, it only gets worse. In the next chapter, Cain kills Abel. By the end of chapter 6, we get Noah and the flood. After that, the Tower of Babel. It gets worse and worse. See, in the Bible, whenever people get together, we sin more, not less. Okay? We, We get together in groups. We're more likely to do bad things, not less. Okay? Sin is not just solo. It's corporate because we're made in the image of God to be with other people. When we do bad things, we often do bad things together. Paul, like the Psalms before him, even makes the point that all creation feels this pain. Creation groans inwardly, almost like the world is calling out, this is not how things should be. Even though all creation is good, it's fallen, it's broken, it misses the mark, and so we go out in nature, we often find that things are out of balance and out of whack. And a lot of times it's our fault because we're supposed to have dominion over those things. And so as nature is destroyed, it's because of us and it's because of the fall and it's because of sin. I want to say this, though, very clearly, that there is nothing in this world that is inherently bad. How many of you were taught certain things growing up were bad, like cards? Anybody taught that cards were bad? Okay, you don't play cards, Okay. A lot of people were taught that dancing was bad. Well, dancing is bad, right? And drinking is bad and all those things. But but the doctrine of the scriptures is that actually everything in this world is good, right? Depends on how you use it. Depends on how you use it. So uh, there is no such thing as inherently bad music. Whatever style of music, whatever instrument you listen to, it can be used for good purposes or it can be used for bad purposes. but, But nothing is inherently bad. All sin is sin because it's good corrupted, okay? Uh, let me take a very extreme example with you, okay? Uh, in the paper uh, in the last couple of weeks, there's been this scandal in the Vatican about a cardinal who was uh, being accused of impropriety with a child uh, many years ago. And there have been far too many stories like that in churches, not just the Catholic church and not just the churches. Okay? Nobody would look at that and say, that's good, right? That's bad, that's evil, that's fallen. Except, it's good to love, right? And sex is created good. That's something God gives to us. It's a good thing. And we're supposed to love and care for children, right? But it's when those things are misapplied, when they are perverted, when they are corrupted, that it's bad. Love and relationships are a great thing uh, in your marriage, but not when it's outside of marriage, not when it's outside of God's plan. See, the, Satan can't create anything. God created everything, and he created everything good. What Satan can do is corrupt the things of God. So whenever we sin, it's because of good things that are made bad, that are corrupted. That's why sin is so tempting sometimes. Because often it's a good thing, and it's a good reason, it's a good ambition, but it's played out in the wrong way. We all know this fall. We experience it every day. We groan that our world should be different. And some of us, we get diagnoses from the doctor, we get information, we go through experiences where we are reminded in special ways that the world is not as it should be. The rest of the Old Testament is one big set of stories as people try to deal with this. What is going to happen to this fallen nature? And the problem is, we can't fix ourselves. Nothing fixes it. The flood doesn't fix it. Abraham and his family don't fix it. Moses leads the people out of Egypt. He gives them all these worship practices. But the sacrifices have to keep coming and coming and coming because the the actual problem of the fall is not fixed. The judges can only make a difference for their generation. And by the next generation, everybody does what's right in their own eyes. The kings end up being more of a problem than they are a good. Because they're fallen too. The priests cannot fix the gap. The prophets are not even welcomed in their own town. Their voice will not be heard. What is going to happen with this fall? The Old Testament is a story of band aids on a traumatic wound. That nothing will quite work, yet there remains hope. There's a call for a Savior, a Messiah is coming. Um, Someone will truly bridge this gap between God and humanity. There is hope that the world will someday be made right, hit the mark, and live up to God's glory. We know the story. We know that Jesus is that redemption. But that's chapter 3, and that's our story for next week. For today, I just want you to understand that this idea of sin and the fall is not just a Sunday school term that we teach little kids to try to help them not do bad things, okay? This impacts you every single day. Already this morning, it's hit you a few times, okay? We gotta learn to recognize it. We gotta learn how to understand sin in the fall because only then will we really understand how Jesus is the answer to these things, So think about what it means in your life that you are fallen, that this world misses the mark, and that you cannot save yourself. And begin to consider, as we will next week, how Jesus is the answer to all of these problems. One of the ways that the church has dealt with this issue of sin and helped us realize our sin is through the practice of confession. Now, we in the Protestant church... Don't typically do that as a uh, priest and a, a person confessing their sins directly and specifically, uh, and I'm kind of glad for that most days. I don't need to hear all your dirty laundry. Um, but one of the practices we have done, and we don't always do it in our church services, but I wanted to do it in respond to this sermon, is what's called a prayer of confession, a corporate prayer of confession. So grab your bulletins And let us respond to this news of our fallen nature by confessing to God that we really are sinners. So please join with me. And can we stand? Let's stand for this. Because we know that we're forgiven, we can boldly proclaim that we're a sinner because we know it's already taken care of. Okay. When we confess it, it's not so that God knows. He already knows and dealt with it. It's so that we remember who we are And ultimately, remember whose we are. So let's pray together. Lord, we confess that we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory. We have not lived up to your image in us. We have not done things you have called us to do. We have done things you told us not to do. Even the good things we do are often done for selfish reasons. All creation groans for things to be different. The world is not as it ought to be. We are not as we should be. Help us to find our hope in the only place that can deliver true hope. Help us to hope in Christ. May we always live out this new kingdom until you come again to make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen.